back to the official 49ers You've Got Mail podcast sponsored by Manscaped. I am joined with 49ers insider at NBC Sports Bay Area, a three-time Pro Football Writers of America award winner, Matt Mayoko. Matt, I found out that fact because I had to find you on Wikipedia. And that's how I feel like you know you've made it when you have a Wikipedia page. Well, then I've made it. That is, that's great to hear. I think all the information on there is factual. I don't know if it's all up to date, but uh, Kiana, thank you very much for having me on your podcast, the You've Got Mail podcast. And hopefully at the end of this month and into August, we'll be seeing each other out there on the practice field from a safe distance, of course. Of course, we'll be staying six feet away. Um, and and we'll talk a little bit about training camp and the potential of having a training camp later on this month in just a bit. But I mean, it's crazy when I think about it. I think the last time that you and I actually saw each other was the day about a couple days after the Super Bowl with those exit interviews. And was that the last time that that we've seen each other? I think so. I believe so. Yeah. Even on the Zoom calls that the 49ers put together with uh, draft prospects and the head coach and a whole bunch of players, we didn't see each other. We only saw the players or John Lynch or Kyle Shanahan uh, and they didn't see us. So I think that is the last time I saw you. It was locker clean out day a couple days after the Super Bowl. And, you know, some guys that we saw then are no longer around. Uh, but by and large, it is a, it'll be a very recognizable team that the 49ers put out there this season because what is it? Would it be like 18 of their 22 starters uh-huh. are back? I think you're only looking at DeForest Buckner, which was a shocker yeah. right on the first day of, of free agency, the, the new league year. Joe Staley, not so much of a shocker. Um, Mike Person and Emmanuel Sanders. So those are the only four starters basically from last season who won't be back. So, I mean, you would on paper anyway, I I know people like to talk about the Super Bowl hangover and all that, but on paper, I think the 49ers are in very, very good shape to make a run back to the Super Bowl in this coming season. I love that you said that you're already answering fan questions that we were going to get to. You're already on top of it. But what year is this now for you covering the 49ers? 26. Wow. 26 yeah. years. They've flown by. I still feel like I'm the, the new kid on the block. But yes, the, the first year <laughs> where I did it full-time year-round was 1995. And so I've been doing it pretty much nonstop since then. I feel like you're the perfect person to answer this. How different do you think this year has been for you? And let's say covering this team when you're looking at the effects of this pandemic we're in and coming off of that tough Super Bowl loss. How has this offseason, in particular for you, being a 49ers insider and covering this team, for this amount of time, how has it been for you? You know, it hasn't been too much different than a normal year. The only difference up to this point has been there haven't been any off-season workouts to cover. Right. But news still happens. Free agency still happened. I mentioned the trade of DeForest Buckner. 
uh, you know, Joe Staley's retirement, the, the free agent movings and shakings, the draft. Um, we did go to the combine, I think, didn't we? <laughs> we, yeah. we went to the combine. Yes. Oh, so that's go. when we saw that, each other. That there was we last go. time we saw each other. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to think. These years do kind of spill together. <laughs> but yes, I do. We went to the combine. And then it was basically a week after the combine when, you know, the whole country, the whole globe shut down. So right. up to that point, the only thing, the only places that I did not go this off season that I would normally go would be to Santa Clara for some practices and also the NFL owners meetings. Mm -hmm. And I forget if this year was going to be Arizona or Florida. I think it was Florida. Florida Florida yeah. was this year. Yeah. So that really has been the only change. Um, yeah, I'm still producing content, still writing stories, still doing, well, we're doing Zoom. I didn't know anything about Zoom until about <laughs> four months ago. I think we were all introduced to Zoom uh, earlier this year. Yeah. So we're, we're doing Zooms. And I, I would say that once training camp opens, assuming it opens, assuming that the NFL players and the NFL get on the same page and, and those doors swing open, that's when the, the real changes will begin because we won't have any face-to-face -face interaction with players, mm -hmm. with coaches. Uh, it'll all be virtually done. Uh, the protocols for practices will be different. Um, the protocols for game days will certainly be different. Um, I don't think, since I started covering this team, I have gone to every road game and wow. all but one. Oh, that's not true. The one game that I missed off the top of my head was in 2002, November 1st, or no, when was it? November 3rd. Third, probably 2002 it was a game the 49ers played against the Oakland Raiders and it was the day after my firstborn Jane was was <laughs> came into this world so that is the only game that I have missed um, that I hadn't been attended this year I just don't see a scenario where any traveling reporter yourself me you name them. I just don't see any any scenario where we're traveling to yeah. Los Angeles or New York for back-to-back -back games early in the season. Um, I would assume we'll have access to the home games at Levi Stadium. Mm -hmm. But even then, uh, I guess other than being in an empty stadium and kind of feeling, sensing what it's like to be in there, you know, there's really no great advantage to be there because you won't be able to conduct interviews in the locker room. Right. But I guess you'd be able to, to get the all 22. You know, we're up there on the 800 level of Levi Stadium. So we have the television replays. We're, we're able to kind of see the, the plays develop from that bird's eye view. But um, I, I would say the major changes, the, the major, um, you know, adjustments that we all have to make will begin once training camp opens. You were talking a little bit about this being a different off season because our access is completely different. And we, we got a lot of questions asking about how specific players are doing and how are they, how are they fitting? But it's, it's really difficult to give a truthful and honest response because 
typically we're out there at OTAs and mini camp and we get to see what's happening on the field and we get kind of that preview going into training camp, but that's something that we haven't had this year. So with that and looking at when your timeline of covering this team, I want to go back to the 2011 season during that lockout year. Mm-hmm. Was this off season pretty similar to 2011 for you from a coverage standpoint? Yes, it was. Other than I never felt comfortable uh, this year driving to San Jose and and interviewing guys, you know, as they were leaving the the practice facility there. Um, So that's what happened in 2011 was that Alex Smith held these workouts with the 49ers skill players. And actually there were some defensive players there too. I remember Justin Smith and Ray McDonald, um, Paris Harrelson, some of the, the 49ers defensive guys would be working out in San Jose at San Jose state using their, their practice facility, their, their uh, weight room. But this year just so different because of, you know, the pandemic going on, um, I've tried to do a good job. My family has tried to do a, a good job of social distancing and and wearing masks and not uh, coming into any unnecessary contact with with people outside of our bubble. Mm-hmm. So in in 2011, I would go down there and I remember conducting interviews with some of the players and just kind of getting a read on them. There was one time I, I recall this specifically where you know, sitting in the, in the stands there at Spartan stadium and writing or tweeting or whatever it was about how the players looked, how some of the newcomers were catching the ball or whatever. And I know that during that point, uh, during the lockout, the 49ers coaching staff did not, could not have any contact with the players. Mm -hmm. And so at that point it was Jim Harbaugh and his coaching staff in their first year they would actually be going through our reports, you know, our Twitter, our uh, written reports on our blogs, whatnot. And they would, they would read those things. They would go through it pretty thoroughly just to see, you know, what their guys were doing, how they were looking. So in a lot of ways, we were the, the eyes and ears of, uh, for the 40 hours coaching staff. Now with social media being like it is, Hey, if you want to know what Kendrick Bourne is doing, all you have to do is go to Kendrick Bourne's Instagram and check out his latest story. I, I found it interesting to see George Kittle, his workouts, and man, he's he's looking like uh, he, he's stepped in that weight room and he looks big and he, he almost looks like and, the Incredible Hulk to me. Yeah, do you do you wonder if there's some Photoshop going on? <laughs> I don't know. And then here's the big one, Jarek McKinnon. Oh, yeah. You know, watching him on on the track with the hurdles and and just running. I mean, to me, that is a big key to this season because when I look at where the 49ers, where there's room for improvement from last year to this year, I really don't think there are too many places you can look. But certainly he is one of them because of what he brings to the table. Uh, Jarek McKinnon is a true third down back, a true threat out of the backfield, catching passes, putting defenses in, in some pretty, you know, conflicting situations as far as how they cover him with whom, you know, where they devote their resources and coverage. And so if he's running well and cutting like the guy that the 49ers thought they were getting back in 2018, 
then that is going to be a big key for Kyle Shanahan, that offense, Jimmy Garoppolo, everybody. Manscaped is the official grooming partner of the 49ers. Try Manscaped and get 20% off and free shipping with code 49ers at manscaped.com. That's code 49ers for 20% off at manscaped.com. 49ers official You've Got Mail podcast sponsored by Manscaped. You, I was actually going to ask you about Jarek McKinnon. It was actually one of the fan submitted questions on, on how do you see him fitting into the rotation this year. But I love how you answered that. And it kind of drives us right into uh, one of the next questions that I actually had for you. And it's the hot topic. It's what everybody has been talking about as of late. And that's Raheem Mostert. I can't count how many questions that we've received on the running back requesting a trade, but I want to get your take and and hear what you think on this situation and how did the 49ers get to this place? Yeah, it's a tough situation because obviously we all hold Raheem in, in very high regard. He's a guy that has remained in the league. You know, maybe he didn't get the opportunities that, that, he would have gotten if he were a late round draft pick, even bounced around the league, very talented guy, but, and it's taken so long for him to get into that position where he's not just a special teams player, but being a special teams player in the NFL, you have to have this inherent sense of selflessness, right? I mean, that mm-hmm. if there's, there's anything that being a special teams player is about, it's about just Coach, tell me what you want me to do, and I will do it. And nobody has done that better than him. And then when he got his opportunity, you know, late last season, I mean, he ends up leading the team in rushing, had that unbelievable game in the NFC Championship game. The, the problem, and I, I totally know where he's going with this, he's 28 years old. Um, by the time he plays out the remainder of his contract, he's going to be on the wrong side of 30. And for a running back, that's that's not a great place to be when you're looking for, you know, your big money making contract. So you see where he is wanting to cash in because he was the hot hand last year. He's never been more hot as a player. Um, And so there's some money there with NFL lifespans, if you will, being so short, he's got to cash in. But from the 49ers standpoint, they're not in the business of signing someone to a contract, a multi-year contract, and then saying, oh, you've outperformed this. You've played really well. Let's give you even more money, especially when you have so many guys who are coming up on contracts. Mm -hmm. George Kittle is going to be the highest paid tight end in the league by a long ways. And at what point do the 49ers and George Kittle and his agent get that thing done? If, if you don't reward George Kittle, who do you reward? You have next year. I mean, look at all the free agents on this team next year. Trent Williams, Richard Sherman, Kwan Williams, on and on and on. There's a lot of guys uh, who are, who are coming up on, on new deals. So, uh, and then you look at a year down the road, Mike McGlinchey, Fred Warner. I mean, those guys are going to command some big-time money deals. So you, you, when you can roll over salary cap, unspent salary cap dollars from one year to the next, 
you have to look at it that way. Like, okay, $2 million not spent this year is $2 million more dollars next year for any number of those players or a combination of those players. So um, I don't know what the market will be like. I mean, it's pretty clear in listening to Brett Tesler, the agent for Haim Morris, say we've been trying for five months to get a to get a new deal done. 49ers have not been receptive to that. They don't want to set that precedent of tearing up someone's contract and giving them more money. So I don't know what the end game is here because in order for the 49ers to trade Raheem Mostert, they would have to find a team that A, is willing to pay Raheem the, the money that he and his agent want, which is, from what I understand, around $4.5 which is what Tevin Coleman's making. But then from the 49ers' standpoint, you're not going to make that trade because you, you still have Raheem for two more years under contract. You're not going to make that trade unless the team comes to the table and says, we're going to give you a very good draft pick. What that number is, is it a second round pick? Is it a third round pick? I don't know, but Raheem Mostert's a good football player and the 49ers aren't in the business of giving away good football players. So I I just don't know where it's going to go from here. I want to talk a little bit about Kyle Shanahan and what he's able to do with the running backs. You look at Matt Breida, who's now with the Miami Dolphins, and you look at guys like Raheem Mostert, both of these guys undrafted Kyle Shanahan his system molds them into being you know running backs that are near the top of the league in several categories and and when I ask this I'm not saying this to discredit what Raheem Mostert has done nor what Matt Breida has done but in Kyle Shanahan's system in his offense is it Kyle Shanahan or is it the running back well I think it's both I I think that you know Raheem Mostert was on this team when Shanahan and Lynch came in. There aren't very many players still on this team from the group that they inherited. So what they're able to do, what Kyle is able to do, and I think Bobby Turner, we're going to put him in the same category because basically anywhere a Shanahan goes, Bobby Turner (laughs) is right there. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. And Mike Shanahan before him. And you you talk about Kyle Shanahan. Well, what about Mike Shanahan? You know, seven different running backs during his time as head coach in Denver and Washington, seven different running backs had thousand yard rushing seasons. So I think what Kyle is able to do is to see a guy like Mostert and say, he has the skills that will fit in my system. Mm -hmm. And so it's a combination, right? It's like, he's a talented guy. Uh, Carlos Hyde, very talented player, but he wasn't exactly what Kyle Shanahan was looking for. He had a fine year in 2017, but the 49ers really had no desire to bring him back because in their mind, Matt Breida uh, was more along the lines of what they were looking for. Raheem Mostert, more along the lines of what they were looking for. Tevin Coleman, um, you know, Jeff Wilson to a degree, certainly Jarek McKinnon. And so he's looking for very specific things and the speed. I mean, last year, I mean, the speed they had 
at the running back position. I know the guys this time of year, a year ago, were joking about, you know, they'd have the top four, four by 100 you know, meter relay team in the <laughs> league. Um, so I think it's, it's a both, it's both Kiana. It's, it's the player has to have the skill, but it, but it's specific skills that Kyle Shanahan's looking for. It's those guys who can, who can, can take it outside read the blocks in front of them in that zone blocking scheme. And then as they stay, say, stick their foot in the ground and get up a field and go from zero to 70 and, you know, 0.2 seconds, you know, so the guys who can really hit the accelerator. And that's kind of what I, when I think back on Raheem Mostert in the season he had last year and, and how he performed in the playoffs. I mean, it's kind of like, showing patience, taking it out wide, and then boom, finding the crease and just hitting it. And boy, nobody or very few players did it as well as he did. So I know the 49ers went out and they signed a couple guys as undrafted rookies, uh, Jamichael Hasty from Baylor and Savon Ahmed from Washington. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing with the 49ers that I've learned through these three years of being close to Kyle Shanahan and that coaching staff in the personnel department is don't ever rule out an under the radar running back that they oh, yeah. bring to camp because there's a reason they're bringing these guys to training camp. Absolutely. I'm going to jump into a fan question. Uh, Roy Menjarez from Yakima, Washington. I hope I said Yakima, right? Uh, Yakima. Yakima. Have you been, have you been there? I have. Yeah. It's really? in, uh, I believe it's like central to Eastern Washington. Okay. Yakima, Washington. Roy wants to know who will be the 49ers starting running back this season. And uh, let's, let's phrase this question as all is well. Everyone's happy. Everyone's on the roster. You've got Tevin Coleman. You have Raheem Mostert. We talked about Jet, Jeff Wilson Jr., Hasty, the undrafted rookie. And when you think about Kyle Shanahan's running backs, does he ever truly have that number one starting running back? And if so, who would that be this season? Well, there's, I guess there's a, a lot of different ways I can answer that. And you, you're kind of leading me down that path of where I want to go is the difference between a starting running back and a finishing running back. In other words, Tevin Coleman basically started every game that he was healthy for last year. Uh, Raheem Mostert did, has never started a game at running back in his NFL career. But you tell me who their number one running back was last year, I would answer Raheem Mostert, right. even though he wasn't the starter. Um, but I think but then you look back at also uh, the, the divisional round game. Tevin Coleman had a really good game against the Minnesota Vikings. I think it plays into what Kyle Shanahan wants to not have, in essence, a number one guy. I mean, there will be games, and I, you know, I don't know if it's a big deal for Raheem that he wasn't the starter. I mean, some guys are better sixth men, you know, guys coming off the bench and let the game develop a little bit, kind of check things out and then get in there. Um, Raheem Moster was a very productive running back, but not a starter. And then you have Jarek McKinnon, who 
won't be a starter unless the 49ers kind of open in one back set and and they want to exploit a mismatch you know from the get-go but to me assuming McKinnon is healthy and assuming that Raheem Mostert doesn't go anywhere um 49ers basically have three starting running backs I would think that Jarek McKinnon will be the guy who catches more passes than maybe even the other two guys combined. I think mm-hmm. that uh, Tevin Coleman uh, will probably start more and maybe have more touchdowns, but Mostert might have a, a much higher average yards per carry. Um, and ultimately Coleman and, and Mostert will probably see about the same amount of playing time. So I guess the, the good thing is, you know, it's, it, it would be kind of a backs by committee and I don't necessarily see there being, you know, a one guy head and shoulders above the rest. But if you're to ask me who's the starter, it's probably going to be Coleman just because that's what worked so well last year. But Mostert would probably be the guy that would lead the team in rushing. Hmm. You have your starter, your starting running back, and then you also have your finishing running back. I haven't yeah. heard that phrase like that, but it, it it's definitely apparent in Kyle Shanahan's offense. And we saw a lot of that last year. That was great examples. Um, I'm going to jump into the elephant in the room and you touched on it a little bit, but circling back to that. And when I tell you, I got a lot of questions about Raheem Mostert and his situation. I probably got twice as many asking What's up with George Kittle? Sign, extend George Kittle. What's taking so long? And and now we're seeing what happened just recently with Patrick Mahomes getting his deal. And then you see Chris Jones. The Chiefs ma- managed to both get Pat and Chris Jones settled heading into the season. Does that add any pressure on John Lynch and Parag and their team to get things done when you're seeing – that's those two guys right there getting their deals done uh, ahead of camp. I would think it does. I, I mean, I would, yes. I mean, the, when you looked at from the beginning of free agency, you know, the shutdown with the pandemic, the first thoughts that revenues around the NFL are going to take a major hit this season and thusly the salary cap could fall dramatically next year one of the offers or one of the the demands that the NFL players have on the table right now is that uh, they want that $198.2 million salary cap figure from the 2020 season to remain flat in 2021 and basically be borrowing against uh, you know future net revenues by ensuring that the cap doesn't fall any this year other, or next year. So, you know, Prague and, and the way the 49ers handle contracts and just their roster, you know, they like to set their salary structure. They like to be planning two, three, four years in advance. Mm-hmm. And when, in order to do that, you have to know how much money you're dealing with. And, you know, this contract that you signed today, what's it going to look like in two years? What's the landscape around the NFL going to be like? The fact that the the Chiefs um, really sh- just kind of went out there, you know, they they won the Super Bowl, and they're they're basically saying, 
hey, we're going to use the salary structures of what it looks like now in making sure that we keep Patrick Mahomes and Chris Jones around. I mean, it certainly would embolden George Kittle's agent, Jack Becta, to say, hey, look, I, I know that you guys don't want to commit this kind of money to George, but it's, you know, when you, when you talk about precedent around the league, look at what the Kansas City Chiefs just did with their yeah. two guys. You know, they're their best player on offense and their best player on defense. They took care of these guys with record-setting deals. And so that's where Jack Becta would be looking at for George Kittle. So it, it does, it, it's not a simple thing to sign a, this kind of contract during mm -hmm. a pandemic, but Carolina did it with Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. Um, the Houston Texans did it with their left tackle, uh, Laramie Tunsil. And then Kansas City does it with two of their top players. So I, I just, I don't know where this is going because I think that the, the sides are quite a far, you know, quite a distance away from coming to an agreement. And next week or July 28th, if it happens, I mean, it, it's, I don't know that there will be a deal done. Maybe they get together. Deadlines always bring about movement. Yeah. Uh, but if they can't get a deal done, I think it's going to be a big story, of course, if George Kittle's in camp, uh, entering the final year of his contract, making way under market value. But obviously it would be a, a really big story and something that uh, 49er fans would not look forward to seeing if George Kittle isn't there. And I did ask George about that recently, uh, about his thoughts on, on holding out from camp if he doesn't have a contract and you know, he said all the things you would expect George Kittle to say, you know, he's a captain, you know, he wants to be there. Uh, he, he wants to be a leader. He wants to act yeah. like a leader, but it's, we all know this it's business. And is that the right business decision for him? Right. Only George Kittle, his wife, his family, his agent, only they can make that determination. Speaking of players returning to camp, uh, Anthony Toonson from Scranton, Pennsylvania, wants to know the status on Debo Samuel. Uh, earlier this offseason, Samuel suffered a stress fracture in his foot. Uh, was expected to miss between 12 to 16 weeks. Debo, is he gave himself an even shorter timeline to make it back. But I'm going to toss this back to you, Matt. Uh, do you think Debo will be ready for week one? I don't think so. And I just wonder if it makes sense for... I mean, obviously they, they'll be looking at the x-rays, but that's one injury. You just don't want to rush back. Yeah, I think I kind of got the sense last year that Trent Taylor came back uh, before perhaps he should have, or I know he talked at the time that maybe he pushed it a little bit too much. I mean, that for that position and that injury, it, it's, it's a big deal. And I think more time to rest and just be, thorough with it early on kind of helps you on the back end. So, you know, my thought would be that, that he'll report to training camp. He'll go on the non-football injury list. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, there, if there's any question at all 
that he would start the season on the non-football injury list and, and basically miss the first six weeks of the year. That way, when he's back, he's fully healed. The risk of re-injuring that, aggravating that injury, it's, you know, it's minimized. And then you got a full and healthy Debo Samuel for the final 10 games of the season and you got him strong for the playoffs. So, I mean, we don't, I don't know. And the 49ers haven't had that opportunity to, to see him and, and check out where that foot is far from a healing standpoint. But my guess would be that that is probably the most likely scenario that, uh, that he misses the first six games of the season uh, just to be safe rather than being sorry. I want to follow up with actually a question from Vic Davis, the third, he wants to know who do you think will have a bigger impact this year, which is a perfect question coming off of that Debo conversation. He wants to know who will have a bigger impact between Jalen Hurd or Brandon Ayuk this year. Um, Hurd missed last season while dealing with that back. It was a, was it a fracture in his back? He has a, a stress with? fracture in his lower back. Yeah. Right. And then you have Brandon Ayuk, the rookie coming in, uh, but when you're looking at the potential of Debo being out and, and if the situation that you're saying plays out, the 49ers will have to rely on some of their younger guys, uh, their inexperienced guys. And that's when when you look at this entire wide receivers group outside of Travis Benjamin, I believe who, who would be your, your most experienced would probably be Bourne. Yeah, right. I mean, Kendrick Bourne, he's played three years in the league. He, th- that the wide receiver position i think people outside the building don't have a very high opinion of this group but people inside the building see a lot of potential um, absolutely but I, but I would say probably between iuk and herd i think iuk would be the guy who would have the bigger chance to have an opportunity to, to step up and do some things and the reason is because he's so versatile you know, he, he can run every route. He's got good speed. He can do a lot of different things. Um, Hurt is like that as well, but maybe he, he's not as polished as Ayuk is. Uh, Hurt only played wide receiver one year in college. Last year, he got off to a really good uh, training camp, started training camp, then had the injury. So, you know, he's basically inactive all of last season and didn't even travel to the Super Bowl because he didn't want to get on a flight and, and fly five, six hours to, to Miami and then come back. So I think there's a reason that Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers traded up from t- 31 to 25 to get Brandon Ayuk, and that's because they like him. They like the skill set. I mean, it's like earlier when we were talking about the running backs, Yes, you have to have skill, but you also have to have the the traits that Kyle Shanahan likes to see in a player at that position. And what was kind of interesting was hearing Kyle talk after the draft. Or when when we're heading up toward the draft, and the 49ers had the 13th overall pick before they traded back one spot, and you looked at the wide receivers who could be available. You know, some people thought that they really liked Jerry Judy. You know, other people thought that Henry Ruggs would have been their guy. Others thought C.D. Lamb. So those were the three people that, three players that everybody was talking about. It turns out after, you know, after Kyle, who, you know, thank goodness, he kind of reveals his cards or, you know, he, he, 
he'll tell you what, like it is. Basically, what I gathered was that he had CeeDee Lamb and Brandon Ayuk rated very comparably. I think CeeDee Lamb was rated above Ayuk, but they would have been happy with either one of those guys, mm -hmm. and they end up with Ayuk. So I think that tells you right there that even though he hasn't stepped on the field in Santa Clara, he has been working out with Jimmy Garoppolo and Nick Mullins and C.J. Beathard and Brock Rutter. So he's been around those guys. So he he, he has a grasp of the system, I think. Uh, guys like Debo Samuel and Kendrick Bourne have been very helpful to him. So I, I think Brandon Ayuk has a chance to step in immediately and, and make an impact. Um, I don't know if quite the level that Debo Samuel did as a rookie, but if Debo Samuel is out, you might see a similar situation with Ayuk that Samuel had last year where the 49ers had to just basically throw him out there and, and make him play through his mistakes. And what you got was, I'm sure, a lot of rough Mondays for Debo <laughs> Samuel last year yeah. uh, going through all the mistakes he made. But from the middle of the season on and certainly into the playoffs, uh, the mistakes he made early in the season that a lot of it we didn't even know about uh, it, it made them made him kind of learn on the fly and uh, kind of force fed the offense and the 49ers offense was a lot better. And Debo Samuel was a lot better toward the end of the season because of the huge amount of playing time he got early on when he probably wasn't quite ready for it with that. Alexander Edwards from Reno, Nevada wants to know what kind of role can we expect from Jalen Hurt this year as he returns from his uh, his his back uh, situation from last yeah, year. I, here's what I think. I, I think that we all know that. I mean, the Fort Harris coaching staff with Kyle Shanahan, Mike Lafleur, Mike McDaniel, um, those guys are really good about finding mismatches. Where I think Jalen Hurd can really be a factor for the 49ers is specifically in two-minute drills. And maybe it's even, you know, middle of the second quarter, a no-huddle offense. Going out there, you know, they might do two or three series a game that are scripted, no huddle. And when you have a guy like Jalen Hurd, imagine the no-huddle that you could have with <laughs> Jalen Hurd, Jarek McKinnon, George Kittle, Kyle Juszczyk. You know, guys <laughs> where you can just move them around and find the mismatches because in, yeah. no, in no huddle, you know, the, the defense isn't able to sub in. You know, the, the offense isn't subbing in. So the defense will have to make a decision. What personnel do we put out there with this group? And yeah. They can move those guys around, and a guy like Jalen Hurd can line up all over the formation and basically get in situations where, you know, it's a it's a man against boys situation, right? I mean, a guy who's you know what is Jalen six four, six five, strong, aggressive. I mean, he could find, you know, they could kind of script things in a sense that what's the weakest. You know, what's the smallest or least physical guy out there in the 49ers can use you know, formation, motions, uh, play calls 
to kind of isolate those matchups. So I think that's where Jalen Hurd can really excel is in the two-minute drill with all the other options the 49ers have, and they can really pinpoint the matchups that they want to exploit. This podcast is sponsored by Manscaped, the official grooming partner of the 49ers. Try Manscaped and get 20% off and free shipping with code 49ers at manscaped.com. That's 49ers for 20% off at manscaped.com. Yeah, I'm looking at the roster right now. Uh, Jalen is the biggest receiver the 49ers have on their roster, standing 6'5", 230. Uh, One more for you. Uh, Marvin Sunga from Elk Grove, California, wants to know, as we are talking about these 49ers receivers, what's the likelihood the 49ers go after a veteran receiver to add to their roster? You know, I I don't see it. Um, I, I, I think the guys they have now are the guys they're, they're going to keep. Um, you know, none of these injuries, you know, Debo Samuel, that's not a long-term injury. Uh, at least they hope not. But when you talk about Debo Samuel, Kendrick Bourne, Brandon Ayuk, Jalen Hurd, Dante Pettis, we haven't talked about Dante, but remember a year ago, if you and I were talking right now, Kiana, and if you asked me who's going to be the 49ers number one wide receiver for the 2019 season, I would have said Dante Pettis. Yeah. And then he fell off the face of the earth. And now uh, the onus is on him to show how badly he wants it. Trent Taylor is a guy who can will catch a lot of passes if he's healthy you mentioned travis benjamin earlier and then richie james coming off the the uh, the wrist injury so Mm -hmm. i just don't see the 49ers going out and getting a a wide receiver a veteran guy and you know paying more than much more than the the veteran minimum for anybody um you know at this point there are 90 man rosters around the league and we don't even know if there will be 90 man rosters in training camp. Yeah. You know, there, there might, it might be 80, it might be 75. We don't know what the, the future holds. That's something that the NFL uh, and the NFL players association will kind of hash through of whether it's safe to bring 90 players to training camp. So I just think that the 49ers roster is set. You know, I don't think they're going to make a deal for Jamal Adams. I don't think I know for, I, I would be, floored if they had any interest in in Antonio Brown that's simply not going to happen and any other receiver I mean let's face it at this point the only players out there who are available are guys with a lot of baggage and the 49ers have such a good thing going with the locker room chemistry um you know the just everything the the vibe in the organization that I just, I don't see them going out and, and getting somebody. Now I say that, and you know, maybe there's a player from Kyle Shanahan's past that he would be open to bringing in, um, you know, a guy like Taylor Gabriel, but I just don't see a big splash guy that's going to yeah. come in and, and be in a situation where, you know, a top producer on offense or a top producer on defense is somebody who's not already on the team. I I got some uh, in the mailbags. We got some questions asking about the Des Bryant's and the Antonio Brown. So Matt Mayoko says that he does not see the 49ers maybe going out, getting one of those splashier names. When you look at the talent on the roster. Yeah. And think about this too. I mean, a year ago, it wouldn't have cost them anything to go out and, and get 
Des Bryant or Antonio Brown during a time when they went out and traded to get Emmanuel Sanders. Right. So, you know, if they didn't want those guys last year, then especially in the in the case of Des Bryant, what's what makes you think that they would want him now when he's another year removed from the game, another year older? In the case of Antonio Brown, they had no interest in him even before all of the stuff that went down with him uh, after he signed with the Raiders because they kind of knew that that's the kind of guy he is and, and they like where they're going. So, no, I, just, I simply don't see it. 49ers are big on locker room culture. Uh, they've been preaching that over the last couple of seasons, and uh, I think the 49ers have a really good thing going with the guys that they already have in the locker room. So I, I agree with you. I don't necessarily see this team taking that route. Hey, we've had surprises. Uh, did you see the Sanders uh, trade coming? Yes. Yeah. I mean, really? I, well, yeah, I mean, I didn't. Uh, that did not surprise me. No, I. I well, I know. I mean, after the fact, I found out that that <laughs> Mohamed Sanu and. Emmanuel right. Sanders were their two mm-hmm. targets, but no, I think that uh, last year that that was something that they desperately needed at that point. Yeah. Um, so no, that, that I don't think that was much of a surprise. I mean, I, I, I can't say that I predicted it per se, but <laughs> you know, there are certain things that you see or things that happen and catch you completely off guard. To me, the one that caught me completely off guard was the DeForest Buckner. Deal. Yeah. But yeah. the Emmanuel Sanders deal made pretty good sense. And, and he was kind of seen as the guy that they really needed to take advantage of the opportunity they had. I think they were 7-0 and or 8-0 and at the time of that mm-hmm. trade. And they really, you know, it was Debo Samuel and Kendrick Bourne and nobody else on that offense from the wide receiver position. So um, that one made a lot more sense and especially yeah. it helped that – he was coming from an offense with the Broncos that was very similar a year ago uh, with Rich Scangarello as the offensive coordinator. Uh, so that it wasn't going to be a huge yeah. transition for Sanders to go from the Broncos to the 49ers. And it didn't feel like there was one at all. It, it, it literally went when he got there, at least from my eyes, I, I, was it the, the Carolina game? Yes. Yeah. Initially. In? Yeah. The very first game. And, and that's something too, is that, you know, we, we saw immediately what kind of guy Emmanuel Sanders oh, yeah. is, was. And, you know, the 49ers do their homework. I mean, they just don't say, hey, man, this guy looks great on film. Let's trade for him without also having a very good idea of exactly the person they're getting. Yeah. And so they knew that Emmanuel Sanders was a guy who could come in, buy in, they would, you know, it'd be a, a, an attractive situation for him coming to the 49ers. It'd certainly be an attractive situation for the team to get him, but also that this guy was a solid dude and could yeah. help all the younger receivers around him. And that's something the 49ers didn't have last year at that position group before Emmanuel Sanders got there. That's true. That's definitely true. And uh, one thing that I really picked up on this offseason was Debo Samuel saying that he he might not be the most vocal guy, but he wants to make sure he's leading by example, especially with these younger guys in the locker room. I think this is probably one of the most, I'm, I, I can't say if it's the most, but as of right now, I think uh, the wide receiver position is probably one of the most intriguing 
position groups heading into I, camp, just watching that shakeout, seeing some guys coming back from injury. I'm yeah. pretty excited to see. No, that. I I agree, Kiana. And I mean, we you know you you look at the wide receivers. There's going to be some pretty good re- receivers who don't make the team, but yet it's not a position where you see you know an abundance of high level big name players. I mm-hmm. think Debo Samuel has a chance to be, you know, a thousand yard receiver. He has a chance to be a pro bowl player, but, um, you know, by and large, just for the casual fan, you know, it, it's not a group that jumps out at you as being anywhere near a strength of the team. Um, you know, Kendrick Bourne is, is a good player. Uh, he was a first down making touchdown making machine last year. But I think by and large, you know, players really don't, or I should say fans really don't know about him because he yeah. did enter the, the year uh, or enter his career as an undrafted rookie from Eastern Washington. So uh, the, the foreigners have taken a, a leap of faith, I think, in some of these guys, but they've seen enough that they like them and they believe that this group has room to grow and, and become a, a pretty good uh stable of receivers for Jimmy Garoppolo and they all kind of have unique skills uh, unique abilities that the coaching staff can kind of massage and the one thing I do know for sure is last year it basically was Emmanuel Sanders, Debo Samuel and Kendrick Bourne Uh, this year they're going to need more guys they're going to need four or five guys stepping up and that didn't happen last year so the pressure's on some of these guys to really step up and show what they can do and probably at the top of that list is Dante Pettis yeah I'm keeping my fingers crossed that uh on July 28th hopefully you and I will be on hand at training camp and things are started on time we can finally begin to report on how guys are looking coming back. It's going to be, I feel like it's going to be really interesting seeing guys coming back in camp shape when you haven't necessarily had your typical off season. But with that being said, uh, looking forward to camp, you know, hoping that by, by some miracle things do start on time. The 49ers figure out a way the NFL figures out a way to have a season because I can say one thing. And I think I speak on behalf of many, many people that we really really can't wait for football to come back <laughs> yeah I was, uh, I was on a walk with my 15 year old daughter and she said when are you going back to work and I said well later <laughs> this month and I go if if there is football you know it'll right. be later this month and she said there has to be football I yeah. can't I, I believe she even threw a I can't imagine America without football. And so I think she probably <laughs> uh, I think she echoes the thoughts of a lot of people that um you know up to this point I think people have managed to get by without major league baseball without the NBA mm-hmm. uh you know coming around and finishing their season. So hopefully things go well with major league baseball and the NBA. And they can kind of set the tone for how this should be. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Kiana. Hopefully it'll be down there and we can talk and, and watch football for uh, all, the, all the way through the season. I sure hope so. Matt, this was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for answering some of the questions. And uh, make sure you stay safe out there. And I'm, I'm crossing my fingers as we speak. I'm crossing my fingers. I get to see you in a few weeks. I, I hope so too. All right, Kiana. <laughs> I'll see you down in Santa Clara real soon. See you soon. Thanks, Matt.